Let's look at Colossians. We're talking about doing God's work, and we're still in this whole idea that talks about Jesus is Lord. So look at Colossians chapter 3. Start with verse 23. Paul says this. Paul says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. He says in verse 25, Anyone who does wrong will be paid for his wrong, and there is no favoritism. Then he finally says in 4.1, Masters, provide for your slaves what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. One of the great things about being there and getting to preach there is before I preached, Brittany and Ethan, my daughter and son-in-law, led worship. And so I got to watch them lead worship, and I got to get up and preach, and we did all this stuff. But there was one guy that was there, named Tom Cater. Went to college with him. He married a friend of mine uh, from I knew all through junior high and high school. And he told me after his first day, he goes, I about didn't come out this week. He says, I'm going to let everybody else come out because there was nothing I could do, he thought. He's a great singer. His wife's a great pianist, and they sing well and do all those things. But doing this other stuff, he goes, I'm not sure. Well, they give you this paperwork, and you fill it out, and your skills and your talents. He goes, everything I was doing is, you know, not real proficient, not real proficient. So what he did, he was on the log splitter that Sandy and Sandra was working, and he ran the controls all the time. He did smash a couple kids' fingers because they put them in places they weren't supposed to be, and he felt bad about it. But he finally said, he goes, I am so glad I came and done this. You see, he almost didn't. He almost let someone else do it. But because he was willing to try and make the trip and do the effort, it paid off, and he loved every part of it. You see, one of the rallying cries of the church, a lot of times in many churches, is simply this, let someone else do it, right? Oh, to get done by somebody else. Somebody put in a church bulletin on the back of the page that said this, church mourns death of prominent member, and it read this way. The church was sad in this past week to learn of the death of one of its most prominent members, someone else. Someone's passing creates a vacancy that will be difficult to fill. Else has been with us for so many years. Someone did far more than a normal person's share of work. Whenever there was a job to do, a class to teach, a meeting to attend, one name was on everyone's list. Let someone else do it. It's common knowledge that someone else was among the most generous givers in the church. Whenever there was a financial need, everyone just assumed that someone else would make up the difference. Someone else was a wonderful person, sometimes appearing to be superhuman, but a person can only do so much. Were the truth known, everyone expected too much of someone else. Now someone else is gone. We wonder what we're going to do. Someone else left a wonderful example to follow, but who is going to do the things someone else did? And you know, the sad part is, in a lot of churches, this is so true. There's so many people who just want to step back and say, let somebody else take care of it, right? Somebody else will get it done. And it so happens so many times. It's said, and this is in your outline, that the typical church, 90% of the work is done by 10% of the people. That's a Barna thing. Barna does this research, and he's... They say this is basically true, big church, worldwide church, that 90% of the work is done by 10% of the people. 
In fact, I was talking to a preacher one time who explained his frustration and not being able to get people to work in the nursery. The congregation made up of principally retired people, and when asked to help, they would complain, I've done my share of work in this congregation. What did they say? Get someone else to do it. It happens. It really happens. That's the title of the sermon. You know, let someone else. And I just want us to make sure we wrap our mind around this. And please don't jump off the cliff yet. Okay? Don't think I'm going to start picking on people for not doing the job. That's not where I'm going with this. But also understand there's reasons why people don't help in the church. Here's just a few that I could think of. Number one, sometimes it's because they feel they have done enough. They get that idea, I've done my part. I've done this for years, or I did it when my kids were growing up. Now it's time for me to just sit in the pew and sit back and watch. Okay, So sometimes they've done enough, or they feel they've done enough already. Another one, sometimes because the preacher does not want the help. That happens. Okay, Sometimes the preacher doesn't want the help. Now I will tell you right here, right now, there's not too many things that I want, I want to do by myself. Okay, there's things I do like to do by myself. I like to travel if I have to go a long way to the hospital. I just don't go by myself. It's my time to think, and I listen to worship music and do all these things. So it's not a bad thing. But there's other things I love to do with other people. Why? Because it makes it more fun. I love working with somebody that hits their finger with the hammer, and I get to watch them dance a little bit. You know, I laugh, and then I make sure they're okay. You know, that's not always that I don't want to help. And then, sometimes churches have the attitude that ministry was what they paid the preacher and staff to do. Okay, be honest. That's what the preachers get paid to do, right? Not always. Not always. I just want to understand, make sure we are grabbing onto this. Like I said, there are a lot of reasons why people don't do ministry in the church. But I also believe there's one main principle that we need to understand that each and every one of us need to understand, and maybe we're in the boat where you're sitting here saying, well, yeah, I'm one of those people who have done all this for the last 20, 30, 40, 50 years, and really I just want to sit back and I don't want to do anything, okay? Maybe that's you. That's fine. But I want to change your mind, hopefully, in what we're talking about. Because I think there's a main principle or main reason why people don't do ministry in the church is because they don't understand how critical their service is to the church, and to Christ really is. How critical it is that we work together, that we do things together to accomplish the mission and the goal of the church. For example, when you look at the Apostle Paul who wrote Colossians, who we've been talking about, he's probably one of the most known apostles in the Bible. In the New Testament, Paul's name is probably mentioned more often than any other name other than Jesus. There's always references to Paul. And this may not have a lot to do with the fact that Paul wrote nearly half the New Testament himself, but he was also instrumental in forming much of the thinking and much of the theology of the early church. I mean, it was kind of Paul that did all this. In fact, Paul's influence was so powerful in the early church that to this day, to this day, Jewish religious leaders literally hate the Apostle Paul because of what he was able to do in developing the church. It's been said that religious leaders in Judaism dismissed Jesus as a deluded and uneducated country preacher. 
I resemble that remark, who was later misrepresented by his followers. Okay? So they could look at Jesus as this little country preacher, no big deal, deluded, had these grand dreams, but not by his followers. So understand what they're saying. They could forgive Jesus. But Paul, they despised Paul because of what he did. Paul had been a Pharisee. He had been a student of the great uh, Gamaliel, I think you pronounce it, and another persecutor of the church he was. These religious leaders believed that it had not been for Paul, the church would not have become as strong and influential as it has. And of course, they're probably right. Paul was a great influence on the church and who we are today. All this leads to many people to believe that Paul literally turned the word upside down all by himself. And a lot of people will say that Paul did this, 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 and this, and if it wasn't for Paul and what all he did by himself, we wouldn't be where we're at today. But I want you to understand that's not true. Paul didn't do it by himself. Consider a list of friends and companions. Paul mentions in Colossians 4, if you read on. He mentions these people like Tychius, for example, was a part of Paul's missionary journeys and was a regular letter carrier for Paul to places like Colossae and Ephesus, to men like Titus and Timothy. So, but he mentions them in the scripture. Then there was another one that traveled regularly with Paul who was with him when Paul was mobbed in Ephesus, shipwrecked in the Mediterranean, was later in prison along with Paul. And just, I mean, I'm thinking this guy, I'm thinking, I think I'd get rid of him if all this thing is happening with him. But he mentions him in the scriptures. Epaphras, apparently also in prison with Paul, according to Philemon 1.23. And he was a man dedicated to the ministry of prayer. But he mentions him. Then there was Onesius, once a servant of Philemon, who provided himself so useful to Paul that Paul asked for his freedom so he could continue to serve beside him. But also Paul mentions men like Mark, who wrote the gospel of Mark, who was with Paul on his early missionary journeys. He mentions people like Luke, who wrote the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, and also the book of Acts, who was a faithful companion during most of Paul's ministries. Then there's some lesser-known people that he calls out. Nymphus, who housed a church in her home. Archippus, either as a preacher or teacher or other prominent person there in Colossae. There's a guy named Justice, the one who was chosen to replace Judas. There was Demas, apostle, a disciple of Paul, but later forsook him in 2 Timothy 10. But I say all that to say this. A lot of those names we may recognize a little bit, one is hard to pronounce and people that we really don't know a lot about. But I say that to say this. The point is this. Paul didn't do ministry alone. Okay? Yeah, Paul did a lot of great things. Paul went a lot of different places and he was able to do a lot with a lot of people. But he did not do it alone. These were just ten of the people who were followers of Paul and went with Paul in the ministries. In fact, in his letters, Paul mentions over 100 people that Paul was with, who worked alongside him, who encouraged him, who assisted him, and made his ministry stronger because he was doing it with other people. Now, I don't know what it was like for Paul and what all he was doing. I know he had some tough times and rough times and all those things were going on, but Paul still had people around him. So understand, Paul didn't do ministry alone, but the truth is this, unless Jesus had wanted him to. 
But Jesus didn't. Now, if Jesus would have said, Paul wants you to go by yourself and do these things, Paul would have. But I don't think that's how Jesus did things. Jesus got his disciples around him, took his disciples with him, and they did ministry together. And that's what I love about the story. Paul could not have done this by himself. Gil Scott Heron, an American poet, wrote this. He said, nobody can do everything, but everybody can do something. And if everybody does something, everything will get done. I mean, just think about that. Nobody can do everything, but everybody can do something. But if everybody does something, everything will get done. That's why I believe Paul listed all these people. I think that's why Paul thought it was important that you understand that there were people on this list, yeah, we may not know, but they were companions to Paul all through the New Testament. But I believe there's even a more important reason why Paul mentioned these people. I believe God deliberately listed so many of Paul's co-workers in the Bible is because he wanted to tell us that we are a priesthood of believers. Okay, grab onto that truth. That we are part of a priesthood of believers. So if we are a priesthood, what does that mean? It means we have a job to do. We're part of this priesthood. We're a royal priesthood. See, it's just not the preacher that does all this, or the paid staff that just does all this, or it's just the elders or the deacon that does all this. It means we, as believers are part of this royal priesthood of believers. So what does that tell us? We have a job to do. We have work to get done. We have things that God has given to us, God-given things, to accomplish for his kingdom. And like I said several weeks ago, you know, God may give us this something to do, and he gives us this dream and this idea, and we stand over here and say, okay, God, I hear you. I hear what you're saying, but we got to give it to the committee, and we got to take it to the board, and the board gives it back to the committee, and then it's three years later, and that dream, that vision that God has given to us has moved down the road, and another church has done it. Because God's saying, I can't wait on you. I needed it done three years ago, or two years ago, or a year ago. I needed it done yesterday. But that whole time that we were trying to figure out how to do what God wanted us to do, people died without knowing who Christ is. And I think that's where we're going to be held accountable. And I joke about it all the time, and we're not bad here, trust me, about committees and all those things. But I've been in churches, and I've served in churches, to where it has to go to this committee, then this committee, then this committee. Time you send it to three different committees who meets once a month, you're already a quarter of the year done. And by that time, it's too late. It doesn't need to be done anymore. You've heard me say it before also. You know, I know we're out in the middle of the country. You know, that's fine. That's fine. God still has work for us to do. But I also know that we have churches on almost every corner of different kinds, different, you know, styles, different things. And even in Lafayette, Indiana, I've got people that I know preach there. And it's a big town. It's a dense town and all those things. And a new church moved into town. A big church of Indianapolis planted a church on the west side and this guy I know that preaches there was upset I mean he just thought that was the most horrible thing going to take his people away and I looked at him and I said you can't reach everybody in Lafayette one your church cannot hold everybody in that and what I say to say this is this church is willing to do things differently than what they were willing to do 
And I look at the statistics, and this church within a year was running well over a thousand people. And it upsets other churches. But why is that? Why is this church able to plant a church, build a building, and then boom, there are a thousand people? Because they're willing to do what somebody other churches were not willing to do. They're willing to do things a little bit different. The same church that I'm talking about is starting another church in Putnam High School, South Putnam High School. It's just going to be a video. And they're already anticipating this little area in this school, that the school is letting them do this. They're going to start with 500 people that first Sunday. And I'm going, you know, it, it blows me away. And, you know, I don't despise that. I think it's great. Why? Because people are going to hear Jesus Christ preached. This is one of our churches, folks. It's an independent Christian church. And that's what I love about it. You see, we have this priesthood of believers. Remember Jesus? He's getting ready for the Last Supper, one of the greatest meals that we can read about in the text. When Jesus was getting ready for the Last Supper, he told how Jesus sent Peter and John into Jerusalem with these instructions. Listen to what he says. He says, As you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, The teacher asks, where is my guest room where I may prepare the Passover with my disciples? He will show me a large upper room, all furnished. He says, make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. What was the guy's name that provided the place? It's not there. Jesus doesn't mention the name. and God doesn't tell us who this man was who furnished this upper room. For Jesus to do the Passover. I mean, why tell us of a man whose name is never mentioned in the story? Why would God do that? You see, even this mysterious unnamed man performed an important service for Jesus. Unknown. Doesn't make any difference. But he was unknown. Why tell that man? But even this mysterious man performed this service, even though we may never know who he was. Catch this. God does. God knows who this man was, who did this work, who did this favor. You see, sometimes the work that we do may never get recognized. Sometimes the effort we put into it may never get realized. And you know what? Even though we all don't know who did this or did that, it doesn't matter. What really matters is God knows. God knows what we've done. Do you see it? The work of every Christian in the church is important to Jesus and critical to the success and the mission of the church. And so it's vital. If we're going to do church the way Jesus needs it to be done, we need as many as possible who can find a way to do ministry in the church. Yes, I'm talking big C, big church, big world church, but I'm also talking little C church right here, West Liberty. I'm not talking size, I'm talking the idea Sadly, it's true that the average church at 10% of the people do 90% of the work. But that also got me to thinking. And I, that statistic doesn't fit West Liberty. Please understand that. So I made a list of all the things I know that people did. 
I can think of who teaches a class, who mows the grass, who prays, who took part in greeting people on Sunday morning or helped in junior church or the youth group, who cook for family night or bring food for funeral dinners or provide meals to those who've had surgery or have had babies, who serve on Sundays, lead worship, run sound, run PowerPoint, so on and so forth. You get what I'm saying? Now, my math's not real good. I didn't do real good at math in school, but that's roughly 40 to 50% of our church. That's awesome, folks. And that's probably higher than that, that things I didn't think of and didn't put down. That's a decent percentage. And I want you to know it makes me proud to serve alongside so many people. And I've already talked to some people. They were reading down through my notes and trying to get an idea of where I was going. And they actually said, I better get busy. But I also know this person provides food for funeral dinners. I think she's a person of prayer. And so she does those things already. I said, be patient with me. I'm not saying what you think I'm saying. But we all have this job to do. Let me share this story, then one other story, and we'll close, I promise. It's a story from World War II. It says in World War II, an Allied bombing raid had just returned to its base, and they told a miraculous story. It seems that while on their bombing run, they had been hit several times by German anti-aircraft gunners, but none of the shells had exploded. Specialists gingerly removed the shells from the plane and took them away to a safe place to examine them. What they discovered was this. The shells contained no firing pins. In the place of the firing mechanism, a note was found written in Czech. It says, this note was apparently put there by one of the slave workers in a German ammunitions factory, and it said this. This is all we can do for now. Wish we could do more. That's all we could do for now. What they did was huge. What they did was huge. So let me ask you this. Do you sing? Do you enjoy playing sports? Do you find it easy to organize things in your house or your workplace? Do you find prayer is something you do regularly? Do you have ideas for special activities in the church? Do you enjoy working with preteen kids? Do you like working with babies? Do you have a vision for teenagers? Do you want to be part of making new people feel welcome in worship service? Do you like to cook, work in the kitchen, etc.? Do you hunger to know more about what the Bible says? Do you like to work with landscaping, plants, etc.? Do you like to work with your hands? Are you comfortable speaking in front of people? Do you like to work with computers? Would you like to take a mission trip? Do you like interior decorating or creating artwork? Do you like any of those things? Guess what? We can use you here. All those things that I just mentioned are things that we are doing or wanting to do or need to do. And we need you to do it. I mean, there's all types of ministries, mowing, landscaping, giving specials, teaching, organizing church events, helping with set up chairs, greeting people, working in the nursery, working in the kitchen, helping with funeral dinners, prayer ministry, playing an instrument, leading singing, providing transportation, encouraging missions, organizing the church library, involvement in midweek Bible studies, helping with youth ministry, sound and PowerPoint presentation. So let me stress this. All those things, our ministry for Jesus is critical is critical now be that that may be that this church can get along just fine without the service that you can contribute maybe you think that your efforts in the church isn't all that critical isn't all that important but what if it is more critical and vital than you could ever imagine i'm gonna close with this story while we were out in montana um, i got a message on facebook messenger 
and it was a, I recognized the name, but I thought it was one of those uh, things that somebody was trying to get a hold of me and say, hey, I just want a million dollars, and I want to give you a million. And so I kind of ignored it, and then I read through it, and this young man asked, he goes, I want, would like to meet with you to figure out this faith in God's stuff. And even after I read that, I thought, no, no, this is somebody that's pulling my leg. And I said, oh, okay, you know, great, la-da-da-da-da. And the more I messaged back and forth with him, the more I knew he was serious. This young man I haven't seen for 20-plus years. When I was at Newmarket Christian Church the first time, 20-some years ago, his grandpa was one of my elders. His grandma was my secretary. I did his mom and dad's wedding. I baptized his mom and dad. And now he wants to get together and talk about this God thing, this faith stuff. And I said, man, I'm not going to be back for another week. I said, this is going to be a long week. And I said, I'll be glad to get with you. But if you want to get together with somebody quicker, I was going to hook him up with my son-in-law who does a great job with this. And he said, no. He goes, I really want to meet with you. Now, what I got to thinking about is this. It's been 20 years. 20 years that I've seen this kid. Not talk to him. Yeah, we're friends on Facebook, la-da-da-da-da. But 20 years. And all of a sudden, he reaches out and wants to know about this God stuff. And one, I, I, I'm privileged. You know, I'm going to go tomorrow, and we're going to meet, and we're going to talk, and it's probably one of several things. But something from 20 years ago stuck with him. You know, I, it's my pleasure to go back and do weddings for people I've known, for their kids and all those things. And it's even an honor to do funerals for people that I got to serve with and they worshiped with me. But I got to thinking this. I mean, this right here is what it's all about. I mean, this right here is more important than me mowing the cemetery or me painting walls or me setting up chairs or tearing down chairs or doing any of those other things. But think about this. Think about it. Why 20 years later? Because I think it's this. Because you never know what influence you're going to make in somebody's life. It may not be instant. It may not be the next week. It may not be next month. I'm hoping after I get done meeting with this young man, I'm going to get him to church or connecting with the church. I would love if he's not been baptized to get the privilege of baptizing him. But you never know the influence. I said one more story, but I'm going to close with this one. Because you never know the influence you're going to give somebody. Or by doing the little things. When I was in high school, my senior year, I was working at a funeral home. I wanted to be a funeral director. And so I was working at a funeral home, and that morning it was snowy, and it was, school was delayed two hours. In fact, I was going to the funeral home to work because we had a visitation and funeral. So I had to clear the sidewalks, and I even went off the road getting there. Got there finally, was working on the sidewalks, and my boss yells out the front door, go start the rescue truck. There's been an accident north of town. I go start the rescue truck and get it warmed up, get the ice off the windows. The guy shows up, says, come on, you're going with me. So I, I'm a senior in high school. We go up by uh, a little town, car down in the ditch. I don't recognize it, but come to find out it was two seniors, two freshmen from my high school. We had a helicopter on the ground, and the two seniors survived. The two freshmen were killed. Uh, they kind of went over this big embankment. The, tree hit the, the car hit the tree, slid down, took us three hours to cut them out. I say this to say this. I say all that to say this. What got me wasn't that kids died. That bothered me. But was at the funeral. It's at the funeral. 
After the funeral that this funeral home did, we was at the elementary school where we played basketball, two caskets, two freshmen. The dad came up to me and handed me her diary, Sharon's diary. He goes, he had it marked, he goes, read this. Three weeks prior to her death, she wrote, Kurt Flora said hi to me today. He goes, I want you to know it made her day. And I go, wow. Wow. I've been up to her grave a couple times where it's at. But you know what? We never know, do we? We never know what influence we're going to have. One of the things we learned at Montana, you know, sometimes the kids couldn't talk to us. They were grounded. But just a few days, the connection you can make with some of those kids. And then you say, we're going home tomorrow. They just kind of like, so soon. And you just hope the few days you're there, you make a difference. So please understand what I'm saying this morning about someone else. That someone else maybe you. Maybe you with a kind word. Maybe you with an arm around the shoulder. Maybe you willing to teach that God-forsaken junior high boys class. And then 20 years later, you read they're preaching someplace or they're teaching someplace or they're doing these great things. And you see them again and they'll say, I remember you. I remember what you taught me. And it made all the difference in the world. 